0: Welcome to the Come, Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches, featuring BYU devotionals and forums specially curated to accompany your weekly Come, Follow Me studies. Be sure to check out our other podcasts by searching BYU Speeches wherever you get your podcasts or by visiting speeches.byu.edu slash podcasts. My wife and I consider it an honor to be with you tonight, you, the royal generation mentioned by the prophets of the New Testament. They foresaw this day when you would be here to give direction to the world. i should like to speak on a subject tonight that I think involves each of us. It's that of guidance. Ongoing guidance that is needed by every single person. It's not a subject that is for entertaining. It's not light. It's a heavy doctrine, you might say to be given to you, a mature audience. We have constant decisions to make, constant decisions and judgments, and as we are totally independent from the world, we are totally dependent upon our Father in Heaven. It should be enough for each of us to just have said to us, if you will have meditating study of the Scriptures, in a prayerful manner all of your life, you will be guided in all of your small decisions and all of your large decisions. But it seems to me that we need more than just the admonition to do such. We need to find out what the prophets of old have taught us. My current assigned area is Mexico, and as I spend over half of my time down there, my wife was driving home with our daughter Licia one evening on a Sunday evening. The lights went out. The power went off in the streets and in the homes. And as they were driving to our home, they noticed they only had the light from the car. Obviously, the garage door wouldn't open. And so as they wandered through the heavy blackness to find the front door, they noticed the depressing or or heavy effect of the atmosphere. And as they entered the house, they noticed that without light, you couldn't study. You couldn't nourish your mind. You are inhibited even though you had candles and flashlights. You are inhibited in doing many things that you would customarily do. They also know that as the time went on, some three hours, that the house became very chilled because of the cold winds that came through the sliding glass doors. And as this experience went through them, the realization apparently came over them that the light that we require... Uh, is so essential. Our need and our dependency for light in this world is crucial. Oh, how we could realize that the light we need in our spiritual life is even more crucial and more necessary because each of us has decisions, constantly. Decisions we must make which affect us from an eternal standpoint. We need ongoing, constant direction in order to effectuate the will of our Father in heaven guidance comes through revelation and revelation has always characterized the true church of jesus christ that is to say revelation to a prophet to each leader and to each person our claim to revelation upsets all of the religions we don't go out and criticize and publish pamphlets against those other churches even though they may do so in opposition to us We claim divine revelation to a living prophet and to twelve apostles. And this, in essence, says to other churches that we are right and they are wrong. Although, I repeat, we don't criticize them. Freedom of worship is a fact. We must have that freedom. I was happy to note recently that the Catholic Church believes that a man may worship how, where, or what he may. For example... In the Vatican Council, II, on December seventh, 1965, the Pope, with his council of 2,578 men, made a declaration on religious liberty. I should like to share with you just a portion of that doctrine that they wrote, which is inspired. By having such a doctrine, it allows us to worship our God according to the dictates of our conscience. It's titled, On the Right of the Person and communities to social and civil liberty in religious matters. The Vatican Council declares that the human person has a right to religious freedom. Freedom of this kind means that all men should be immune from coercion on the part of individuals, social groups, and every human power, so that within due limits no one is forced to act against his convictions in religious matters, in private or in public, alone or in associations with others. The Council declares that the right to religious freedom is based on the very dignity of the human person as known through the revealed word of God and by reason itself. This right of the human person to religious freedom must be given such recognition in the constitutional order of society as will make it a civil right. Also included in the right to religious freedom is the right of religious groups— not to be prevented from freely demonstrating the special value of their teaching for the organization of society, the inspiration of all human activity. Finally, rooted is the social nature of man, and in the very nature of religion is is the right of men, prompted by their own religious sense freely to hold meetings, establish educational, cultural, charitable, and social organizations. It's nice to know that other churches do believe that man has a right to worship how, where, or what he may. With regard to freedom also, and allowing other men to worship as they wish, when I had a state conference not too long ago in the state of Kentucky, I picked up an article from the Western Recorder, as it was published by the Baptist Church. This particular publication uh, is for the knowledge of their members, and such a statement would not likely be made public by them. It's titled, Why Mormons Are Ahead of Baptists. Mormons are putting Baptists to shame in zeal and growth. They have spread to 83 countries and are growing faster than any other religious group. Mormons had a gain of 93% to Southern Baptists' gain of 35% in South America, and a gain of 98% in Mexico to our Baptist growth of only 9%. How could God bless any group who exalts a mere man named Joseph Smith to the same love of Jesus Christ? This we have never done. This we will never do. They misunderstand. Then he repeats, Human efforts and not divine sanction must account for Mormon success. Two other reasons account more for the faster growth of Mormons than Baptists. These are, notice these two points, the Mormons have certainty of doctrine and depth of commitment. Wherever people believe strongly and highly prize what they believe, they share it with enthusiasm. The Mormon missionary force numbers about 30,000 at home and abroad, and most all of these are serving without pay. In contrast, we Southern Baptists in 1980 had slightly over 6,000 only career missionaries, and the budgets of the two Southern Baptist mission boards only exceeded $100 million. We have to pay ours. Southern Baptists and Mormons are both involved in bold mission thrust. With Baptists, it's mostly a slogan. With Mormons, it's a reality. It's heartening to see them recognize the, the growth and the strength of this church. Eller Howard W. Hunter stated on November 30th of 1983 the following. Some have attempted to explain the origin and operation of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints without acknowledging the principle of revelation. That's like trying to explain the operation of a vehicle without mentioning the fact that the vehicle has an engine. The attempt to attempt to account uh, for the rise and progress of this church on any other basis than revelation, would prove to be naive. Anyone, however learned, who attempts to tell our history and omits the detail of revelation in the narration will not be giving a truthful nor accurate account. The Spirit will not ratify such history. Elder Hunter also said, How does revelation come? This is a question we must ask us now. How does it come? He suggests that it comes in three ways. He suggests a voice... The actual visit of an angel, or manifestations of the Holy Ghost. Now, with respect to a voice, let me read to you section 130, verses 14 and 15. I was once praying very earnestly to know the time of the coming of the Son of Man, says the Prophet Joseph, when I heard a voice repeat the following. Joseph, my son, if thou livest until thou art 85 years old, thou shalt see the face of the Son of Man. So he heard Voice number two then would be the actual visit of an angel. President Wilfred Woodruff said, I have had administration of angels in my day and time, though I never prayed for an angel. I have had in several instances the administration of holy messengers. In a section 110, we read, And after this vision closed, the heavens were opened again unto us, and Moses appeared. Later in verse 12, Elias appeared. In verse 13, Elijah the prophet stood before us. Those are a few illustrations of the actual visits of angels. The point number three, then, is the manifestation of the Holy Ghost. In section 8, we read, Yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart by the Holy Ghost, which shall come upon you and which shall dwell in your heart. Now behold, this is the spirit of revelation. In Enos 10, and while I was thus struggling in the spirit, behold, a voice of the Lord came unto my mind, saying, Joseph Fielding Smith, when at the BYU in 1958, spoke to the seminaries and institutes and said the following, he said, number three is more everlasting than number two. That is to say, the manifestations of the Holy Ghost are more everlasting than an actual visit of an angel." I quote his words. The impression on the soul that comes from the Holy Ghost are far more significant than a vision. It is where the spirit speaks to spirit, and the imprint upon the soul is far more difficult to erase. I recall vividly when I was presiding over a mission some years ago in Central and South America. I was interviewing a sister by the name of Sister Rogers. As we were speaking in warm conversation, she looked at me and she said, President, I just found out with whom I was going to the temple to be sealed. And I smiled and I said, Sister Rogers, is it logical while you dedicate all of your time and your efforts and all of your thoughts to the service of the Lord in the mission field that the Lord would tell you here who you're going to marry? She says, no, it isn't logical, but I know And at the instant she said that, there came to my mind, as clearly as can be, a face and a name. I said, Sister Rogers, I believe you. What's more, I know who it is. And she looked at me in a very surprising manner, and she said, You do? I said, Yes. I said, The face just flashed before my mind, and I know his name. Sister Rogers, in this mission, we have five countries— He is one of the missionaries. I hadn't mentioned his name. And I don't recall you even working in the same country with him. So I don't understand how you would know him. And she said, President, I haven't worked in the same country or the same city. But she said, I was at one zone conference, and I saw him at a distance, and the Lord told me he was to be my eternal companion. I said, and his name is... She said, yes... She smiled and she had some tears. We then spoke on for a few minutes. She told me about another experience she had had in the field, and again, the impression clearly came to my face as to as to my mind as to his face and his name. And I said, "I know who he is, also." It was this elder. She said, "Yes." You can imagine the warm rapport, rapport we felt between the two of us, knowing that the Lord was blessing us knowing that he is interested in every single missionary. That is to say, every single missionary, whether he's in the field or out of the field. I was pleased to note, in the not-too-distant future, even though she lived in California and he lived in Idaho, I received an invitation to the temple marriage because they met at the BYU. I have visited them since. He lives in Boise, Idaho. They have a beautiful, happy home, in which I have dined, they have four beautiful children. He's the bishop of the ward and a practicing lawyer. Can you imagine the anchor, because of that divine guidance they received from the Lord, the anchor to their marital life for eternity? Although knowing the Lord's will had been manifest to them as to who they would marry, such guidance is so essential to us all of the time. Follow me, if you will, through these scriptures, which may help us to understand more of what we may expect as we profit by the experience of others. In 1 Kings 19, we read about the time when a voice—again, sometimes guidance comes through a voice. This is concerning Elijah. He said, "'Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord.' And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains, and brake in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still, small voice. And so it was, when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle, and went out, and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him, and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? One illustration of the voice. In Enos 4, 5, and 10, we all again remember, a voice came to his mind. And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto him in mighty prayer. Prayer and supplication for mine own soul. And all the day long did I cry unto him. Yea, when the night came, I did raise my voice high that it reached the heavens. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sons are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And while I was thus struggling in the spirit, behold, the voice of the Lord came into my mind again, saying, I will visit thy brethren according to their diligence. Another illustration of how the guidance comes from the Spirit, we find in the Doctrine and Covenants, section 6. Behold, thou knowest that thou hast inquired of me, and I did enlighten thy mind. Now, sometimes he does that, and we don't recognize it. And now I tell thee these things, that thou mayest know that thou hast been enlightened by the Spirit of truth. Verily, verily I say unto you, if you desire a further witness, cast your mind upon the night that you cried unto me in your heart. Don't we all do that regularly? Don't we cry unto him in our heart, wanting some guidance of some type? He said, You cried unto me in your heart, that you might know concerning the truth of these things. Now listen to his answer. Did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? What greater witness can you have than from God? It was a feeling. Sometimes it's a voice, and sometimes it's a feeling. And in section eight, And yea, behold, I will tell you in your mind and in your heart. We just have to develop ourselves to be perceptive, to recognize his influence upon us. In section nine, But behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind, you must ask me if it be right. And if it is right, I will cause your bosom shall burn within you, therefore you shall feel. It is right. And in Third Nephi 17, therefore go ye unto the homes and ponder upon the things which I have said, and ask of the Father in my name that you might understand. So we ponder that we might understand. In section 18 of the Doctrine and Covenants, one of some of the most beautiful of all the scriptures. Sometime when you're home, would you mind reading section 18? Putting your name in place of that of Oliver Cadre in some of these verses. For example, I'll read from verse two and some of these other verses. Supposing it you and me. Behold, I have manifest unto you by my spirit in many instances that the things which you have written, that is to say, the Book of Mormon, are true. Therefore you know they are true. And if you know they are true, behold, I give unto you a commandment that you rely on the things which are written. For, th- for in them are all things written concerning the foundation of my church, my gospel, and my rock. In the same section, And I, Jesus Christ, your Lord, and your God, have spoken it. These words are not of man, nor of man, but of me. Wherefore you shall testify that they are of me, and not of man. For it is my voice which speaketh them unto you. For they are given by my Spirit unto you, and by my power you can read them one to another and save it where by my power you could not have them wherefore you can testify that you have heard my voice and know my words so we learn here that revelation and guidance comes in the form of the book of mormon as we read the book of mormon or the holy scriptures we are literally hearing hearing the voice of the savior What guidance does the Book of Mormon and the Scriptures give to us? We can think of quite a few of these. For example, and I won't give the doctrinal reference here, but they will be in print should you like to refer to them. Would you like to know about the Law of Retaliation? Section 98. The Law of War? There's at least five Scriptures in this regard. Secrecy in Government? There's a list of Scriptures here. The Law of Religious Liberty? Other Scriptures guide us there. Civic responsibilities, the Lord speaks re- amply concerning the subject, and the atonement, the subject all of us should have profound knowledge of. We just open the magnificent topical index or guide and realize that you, each one of us, is an expert in all doctrines of the Church. We must have a desire to put forth effort. We fast, we pray, we thirst, we search the scriptures. We don't nibble, we feast, we meditate, we yearn with faith. Then I ask you, what is faith? I think you're all aware of the definition given by the prophet Joseph Smith in the lectures on faith. He said it's the assurance which men have of the existence of things that they have not seen, and the principle of action in all intelligent beings. How do we convey to the understanding more clearly that faith is the first great governing principle that has power, dominion, and authority over all things? By it they exist. By it they are upheld. By it they are changed. Agreeable to the will of God, and without it there is no power, and without power there could be no creation nor existence. Also in the teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith on page 151, we read what I consider a a most interesting aspect concerning growth. The Spirit of Revelation. The Spirit of Revelation is in connection with these blessings. A person may profit by noticing the first intimation of the Spirit of Revelation. For example, When you feel pure intelligence flowing into you, it may give you sudden strokes of ideas, so that by noticing it, you may find it fulfilled the same day or soon. These things that are presented into your minds by the Spirit of God will come to pass, and thus by learning the Spirit of God and understanding it, you may grow, and this is the key word, you may grow into the principle of revelation. Some of you may have read in the history of the Church the experience that was had by one of the General Authorities named John Wells. He was in the presiding bishopric of the Church. Uh, he He lived between the years 1864 and 1941. But suddenly his son, Arthur Thorpe, was killed. Let me read you part of what we find in the diary. On October the 15th, 1915, Arthur Thorpe Wells, 20 years of age, was working as a conductor on the Immigration Canyon Railway. He was handsome, intelligent, and a happy six-footer. In the course of his duty, he flagged an oncoming train to the siding and signaled his motorman to proceed. No one saw the accident, but when Arthur did not signal his return to the train, the motorman stopped the train and they found Arthur lying on the tracks. The train had run over him. This saddened the family, especially mother, who could not content herself, not knowing how it had happened. On October 30th, 15 days later, in the year 1915, Arthur appeared to his mother. He said, My spirit left my body, and I went immediately to the presiding bishop's office to tell father. But father was busy. He was busy talking to a woman, and he told he told his mother who the woman was and what they were talking about. This was later confirmed by the desk calendar. He then went to tell his mother, who was in a, an appropriate condition to receive him. She was blessed with another visit from Arthur. He told her that now he had been assigned to work in the priesthood quorum and was very busy working with his grandparents and his relatives. He told her not to worry about him anymore. This obviously was a great comfort to the family. What do we learn from this? Apparently, his mother had placed herself in a meditating mood so she could receive the visitation of her son. But apparently her father, who was a general authority, was so busy in the affairs of the church, he didn't take time to listen. We have to meditate. We have to take time to listen. In order to have the guidance we we require from on high. We should strive to put, to be pure in our thoughts and actions, as the Prophet Joseph said in his book, The Teachings of the Prophet Joseph. On page 247, we read this, The Lord cannot always be known by the thunder of His voice, by the display of His glory, or by the manifestation of His power. And those that are most anxious to see these things are the least prepared to meet them. such characters would be the first to say, Let not the Lord speak any more, lest his people die. We would say to the brethren, Seek to know God in your closets, call upon him in the fields, follow the directions of the Book of Mormon, and pray over and for your families, your cattle, your flocks, your herds, your corn, and all things that you possess. Ask for the blessings of God upon, upon all things. Be virtuous and pure. Be men of integrity and truth, keep the commandments of God, and then you will be able more perfectly to understand the things of the Spirit and the things of men. And your path will be like that of the just, which shineth brighter and brighter unto the perfect day. In the, in the book of President Kimball, called The Teaching of Spencer W. Kimball, regarding guidance that comes from prophets and the scriptures, we read, All through the scriptures Every weakness and strength of man has been portrayed. One would surely be blind if if, who could not learn to to live life properly by such reading. The Lord said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life. And they are they that testify of me. And it was this same Lord and Master in whose life we find every quality of goodness, godliness, strength, control, and perfection. Now, how can students study this great story without capturing, capturing some of this in their own lives? Speaking about how to interpret the scriptures, the Prophet Joseph said the following. What is the rule of interpretation? Just no interpretation at all, he said. Understand it precisely as it reads. I have a key by which I understand the scriptures. I inquire, what was the question that drew out the answer? or that caused Jesus to utter the parable. To ascertain its meaning, we must dig up the root and ascertain what it was that drew the saying out of Jesus. Then again he says with reference to the scriptures, and he who reads them oftenest will like them best. Again in the teachings of Spencer W. Kimball we read, scripture study is a family responsibility. Scripture study is most fundamental to learning the gospel. Daily reading of the scriptures and discussing them together has long been suggested as a powerful tool against ignorance and the temptations of Satan. This practice will produce great happiness and will help family members love the Lord and His goodness. Home is where we become experts and scholars in gospel righteousness. Just remember the scriptures do not and have never taught or guided a person to be a pessimist or a cynic. Never at any time. David Reisman of Harvard University has warned that Americans are approaching the point where the prevailing ethic is, you're a fool to obey the rules. The modern negative view is, look out for number one, or me first. The Royal Bank Letter of uh, Newsletter states, we can destroy yourselves just as effectively by cynicism and disillusion as by bombs. The cynics evince a mistrust of human nature. The dictionary definition of cynicism is one who is skeptical of the morals and virtues of others. There are two schools of thought. The cynical one is that man is inherently corrupt or evil. The other school of thought is man is inherently good. The Royal Bank newsletter continues. The rules that tell us we must not cheat, lie to, steal from, or otherwise despoil our neighbor form the very barricades of our survival. The guidance of the scriptures is uplifting, positive, and edifying. This me-first philosophy has a loosening effect on our social cohesion. In most Western countries, only three of the transgressions listed in the Ten Commandments are against the law. What right does man, for example, to change one of God's commandments by saying, Thou shalt not commit adultery except among consenting adults. Nevertheless, the world chooses to change divine commands. What's the Lord's guidance? Let me read you this beautiful scripture, as simple as it is in section 108, verse 7. Therefore, strengthen your brethren in all your conversation, in all your prayers, in all your exhortations, and in all your doings. Can you imagine having a cynical, pessimistic God in heaven? Or who would have his prophets write of that type of thing? That's something we can never imagine. We are children of God. We were born only to succeed and to be happy. Now this happiness could and should entail obstacles and challenges to overcome. We are heirs to all our Father has. Imagine all he has he wishes to give to us. The scriptures guide us to be obedient. Self-reliant, self-disciplined, and totally subservient to the Lord, we must be teachable, which is the opposite of being proud. We have some great experiences of General Authorities. We don't feel worthy to have them. We wish everyone could have them. For example, one of the most delightful experiences of the Spirit wherein we feel the guidance of our Heavenly Father is every time we create a new stake or change a stake presidency. We know beforehand that the Lord's already picked the man. And we have to find out through the spiritual guidance of the Holy Ghost who the man is that he has already chosen. Some of us who have the blessing of working in Latin American countries, such as my area prior to my current area of Mexico, which was Brazil, have the opportunity to create new stakes frequently. And you're worried and you're nervous and you tremble all of the time, knowing that you must only pick the man the Lord wants to preside over that stake. And the Lord is so wise, and we have such limited knowledge. He seems to tell us in a different way every time, so the nervousness and the trembling goes on. Sometimes you know the instant the man walks in the room. Sometimes you know it before you even commence your interviews. And sometimes you don't know it until the very last second when you're offering that final prayer to receive his approval. Sometimes in the prayer you've forgotten the name entirely of the one you thought that should be the one, and the name of another man comes visibly before your mind, and you then express it and then feel his influence upon you. I remember vividly just last weekend in Mexico City. I had the pleasure of dividing a stake and forming the new Pachuca Stake in the outskirts of the city. I remember all of the men who, with whom we interviewed felt that it should be a brother so-and-so, And the man that was chosen was right next in line, nearly equal to that man. But as to which one of those two or four in reality was the very difficult question to answer. But again, the Lord told us in his unique way who that man should be. Can you imagine the feeling of satisfaction you get to know that uh, it seems to meet with his approval, as unworthy as you are to be his instrument? The guidance of the Lord is omnipresent. It's just always here. If you think you have a small question, if you think you have a big question or a large decision to make, you'll always be guided if you follow these simple rules. Remember that when you study the Scriptures, you're hearing His Word, and if you study in a meditating, prayerful manner, on an ongoing basis, and nourish your spirit, He will guide you in whatever decision you have to make, and then you don't fight against the world. It just seems like you have a wind at your back blowing you on in the right direction in order to achieve His will. Then as the years go by, you look back in retrospect and say, I remember now what happened when I was 17. Then I had this experience when I was 20. I had another one when I was about 25. Then this one when I was 30. Now I realize the Lord had me have all those prior experiences just so this one today could come to me. I didn't realize it, but He was guiding me all the time. If you haven't said that yet, you will, because He is guiding you. Every one of you, as His son and His daughter, is valuable and precious in His eyes. He loves you with a love that we can't comprehend. I should like to close by bearing my solemn witness to you, knowing that as section 72 and section 104 states we are accountable before God for the things we say and what we do, and the things we do, I testify with clarity of thought that I know He lives. I know Jesus Christ directs the affairs of this, His Church, and Kingdom. I know the prophet Joseph did in truth see the Father. He saw the Son, and he heard the voice of each. This is His Church and Kingdom, and when He comes, He'll come here to His leadership of this Church. I bear witness that anyone who has a problem can overcome it, irrespective of what it is, because you're never alone. There isn't anything one man or one woman can't do with the help of his Father in heaven. There is nothing impossible. Your potential is without limits, and we should have high goals in order to, to, to achieve the levels that he would have us achieve. I pray for the special blessings of the Lord to be with each of you, that each of you may understand the crucial nature of living now, Can you name any one period of time in the history of this earth more important, more glorious, and happier than now? There's only one other time. That's when Jesus himself, for 33 or 34 years, graced this earth. Otherwise, this is the greatest time to live. The greatest event that has ever happened since the resurrection was the first vision, because Joseph saw the Father and the Son. I testify in the name of Jesus Christ, our living Savior. Amen. You've been listening to the Come Follow Me podcast, presented by BYU Speeches. Please check out our other podcasts of recent speeches, classic speeches, and BYU Speeches compilations on love and marriage, overcoming adversity, by study and by faith, the prophet Joseph Smith, and Jesus Christ, our Savior and Redeemer. Go to speeches.byu.edu and click on podcasts for more information.